I'm Ina Kerr. And I'm Maggie Brereton. Welcome to Deal With It, our podcast series on business and deals. In this episode, we have a conversation with our new partner, Martin Hurst, who is a sell-side specialist and has done hundreds of sell-side projects in the last years. We talk about what's changing in sell-sides, what's changing from a buyer's perspective and a seller's perspective, and how do you cope with that as an M&A team? Hey, Martin. Right, today we're talking about sell side. You're our sell side expert. Let's just go through a little bit of what we've been doing wrong all these years, but really also in terms of we are in such different times now, how does life really need to change? Looking at historical financials didn't give investors everything they needed because essentially they're they're not buying a historical revenue stream, they're buying a future revenue stream. And looking at the world post-COVID, I think that's been brought even more to the fore, possibly in, in three principal respects. I think number one, the commercial model for a number of businesses has changed, not just the obvious ones such as travel, retail, et cetera, but down the, um, down the value chain, the way that businesses earn their revenue has has changed fundamentally. And so we'll, I think we'll see that when we look at historical earnings, it won't necessarily give us any indication at all of what those earnings are likely to be in the future. So we need to be far more future focused from that perspective. I think secondly, and alongside that, not only have the, um, the streams of earnings changed, but the operating model for those businesses is quite different. Where their customers are, how their customers choose to shop, and even how much disposable income those consumers have has also changed fundamentally. So we may find that our consumers, particularly as businesses move online, they do more of their business online, they may find that they don't need their traditional routes to market. And that could be either in terms of how they organize their logistics to the more obvious, do I actually need so much retail space? Do I need to have all those bricks and mortar premises that I, I had in the past? And so the impact for potential investors is quite important. I think not only are they uh, required to look at those business models and say, well, what do I need to do to transition it to that new state? But how quickly can I do that? And actually, what's it going to cost me to do it? So I think there's an obligation, not only from a buy side perspective, to, to look at those matters more closely. But from a sell side perspective, it's become more difficult. We relied on a model which was built around vendor due diligence, giving assurance on historical numbers. But actually, what's now become more important is how do we paint a picture of what the business looks like today, how quickly it's going to recover from COVID, and start to have some thoughts about what is the long term future of that business. So I think there's also an element there of um, transparency on the part of sellers that buyers are going to be asking a lot of questions about things like people costs, property costs, etc. What's it going to cost me to get into that new world? So I think in overview, that's my starting point as to we need to start thinking around things differently. And to add to that, as buyers look at things, because the 
as you said, that the commercial and the operating models fundamentally change lots of the, those businesses and what they did in the past is almost irrelevant or and not as important. The other point that becomes really interesting is that because you're driving a business that is very different, is it the current management that you have the right one to actually drive this completely new business with completely new objectives uh, with it? And sometimes the answer is going to be yes, and sometimes the answer is going to be no. So the whole thing comes together as one discussion between the operation of the people and the numbers instead of completely siloed discussions around them. I agree with all of that, and I'm obviously very pleased to hear that I won't be analysing the accruals for the past few years. <laughs> so that we, we never really enjoyed doing that, us all the value in that. But I agree, it's absolutely future-focused. But I guess that comes then to the believability, okay, because we've got lots of plans out there that are great. Technology-enabled, yeah. entering into new markets, tapping into new customers, transitioning from in inverted commas, the old world into the new world, whatever that may mean. And, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to help clients develop those plans or help clients kick those plans. But they're quite difficult to get that level of assurance, well, not not the word assurance, but real believability and how you stop that sort of real risk weighting coming into play on the implementation. I wonder where we'll be in a few years from now, when we look back at the recovery from COVID and understand what, what did it actually look like. But I think from a we're dealing with it now in real time. And I think we're dealing with day-to-day changes in information, which means I think during a transaction process, there'll be far more demand for real-time information, real-time data that says, what is the direction of travel in this business? If your trends have changed, they've changed over the last 12, 18 months. And what does the recovery look like? Is it a V-shaped recovery? Is it a U-shaped recovery? And I think some of that comfort that investors derive will be from being far more on top of the data and using data analytics tools to understand the data that says, is the picture that management and the seller has created, is it actually bearing fruit? Is it actually coming to life in the data that I can see now? So I think we'll we'll become, as well as being future focused on, on the value that's being driven We'll also be looking at today's data and saying, does that support the case? Is the direction of travel heading towards where you tell me it's going? Okay, let me give you a challenge then in terms of that. Are you, is there a natural conclusion to that to say, well, okay, now's not a great time to sell? It's a good time to sell because you can actually paint a new picture. I think coming back to Ina's point, you know, a lot of businesses they carry baggage and they carry baggage for a number of years and they struggle to get away from that baggage. In a lot of cases now, what we've seen with COVID is it's a real opportunity to to change the business model fundamentally, to say, let's actually use this opportunity to have a root and branch look at how we operate, what we do, who we employ, who manages the business, and do we have the right people on board? And so we can actually say, paint this as an opportunity for, for potential investors to say, you know, we're actually dealing in an environment where the, the, the need for change has already been initiated by external forces. And I, so I think it's there's a real opportunity before we get to a new normal, whatever the new normal is, to say that there are opportunities now because there are investors who have paused for a period of time and are now extremely active 
So the buyers are out there, and I think it's a responsibility of sellers to now take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, and I think it's, it's all about the buyers, as, as Martin says, the buyers out there, they have a lot of capital to spend. Uh, they are willing to do deals they were probably not even contemplated a few years ago. I think the private actors are becoming more daring, going to sectors they didn't go to before and go into more complicated situations that they wouldn't have uh, dared to, to go in the past. But I think for me, what changes fundamentally how you, you do sell side, because otherwise your sell side becomes a very poor sell side. It frustrates your buyers enormously because you're not ready to answer any of their questions, which are all future related. And how do I look at this business going forward? And it's all if you all focus in the past, you will end up doing a, a poor sell side. And, and you will know what the consequences of it is a discounting price at, those at some point, because when your buyers cannot have their questions answered, they will discount discounting valuations somehow. So as much yeah. as you prepare for that, there's much more you're prepared for a better valuation that your buyers, more information you're giving to your buyers and helping them understand how the future looks like, uh, the better valuation you're probably going to achieve on your sales side. What I would say is we've, also, we've always had a disconnect between the value that a business delivers today and the value that the hockey stick that we inevitably see on sell side transactions. I don't think I've ever seen a transaction where there wasn't a hockey stick somewhere. But I think there's a, there's a change in thinking that says from the PE side is, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a, a shorter time horizon where I actually want evidence. I want evidence that you're, it's not just a, a dream. It's not just a story that you're trying to sell me. It's actually something which you've already started with your positive implementation steps. So I think the message from sellers is you can't just paint a picture of what you think the world is going to look like. You've got to show that you're, even if you don't sell this business, you're starting to embrace it. You're starting to think about and have a really detailed plan for what that transition like, looks like to this new model that the PEs can actually see, okay, it's not just a dream. There's a roadmap that tells me how I'm going to get there. And I can understand how I'm going to implement it from day one when I take this business over. So I think that's that's also going to be a key change that we're going to see. And I think it's it's very important for whoever is is, is doing the sell side to look at it with buyer's eyes. A lot of sell sides I see when I'm in the buy side is that they were looking with their own eyes. So the, how they perceive the business, uh, especially the carve out, how that corporate look at that business, which bears no correlation to what a buyer would look at and how a buyer would look at that business. So quite yeah. important to look at it with buyer's eyes and what information can I give to the buyers that actually will help them making a decision around that business. What, what's, what's also interesting and comes out of that is this concept of speed. You know, there's a, um, we've all seen sell sites in the past where the seller took a really long time to prepare, it took six months, nine months longer to prepare. You know, I think in the, the way that the world is changing and the way that the recovery is shaped, if we start preparing a business now, in 12 months time, we could be somewhere completely different. And we may even take it in a direction that buyers don't want. So what we should be able to do is to act really quickly. And if we think we're going to sell a business um, or we, we're thinking about selling a business, do it now and do it as quickly as possible once you've made the decision because the market is moving so fast and, and you really need to act with speed to capitalize on that opportunity. One other thing that comes to mind as we discuss this is, particularly with the future plans and sales to private equity and the level of operational change 
and commercial change that you might be trying to sell in that plan, you have to be realistic about that. You can't yeah. be overly complex or too stretching. Because although private equity have moved a long way in terms of we speak to more and more of them that are looking for those operational changes and see the opportunity from that, I really still question how much change are they willing to make? How deep are they prepared to go? How much effort are they prepared to put in? And do the private equity themselves have the resources to make those changes happen? Having this detailed costed roadmap that says what you think it's going to take to arrive at the new, your new, the new version of you is going to be so important because it's going to be a big focus of diligence. But let's let's not also forget. I think clearly PE buyers are going to be important, and there's there's an all, enormous amount of dry powder out there waiting to be invested. But let's not again forget about um, corporates repositioning. You know, when as we look at corporates who have a position in a particular strong in a particular area, maybe their their logistics is now out of balance. So they may increasingly look to acquisitions, to mergers, which will put them back in balance, enable them to take advantage of economies of scale in logistics or um, in sales that they haven't previously thought about. So I think there's um, there's an opportunity there for, and, and it can also be from a PE side, for them to actually be innovative, to think about, well, you know, just from a, a more general M&A perspective, which businesses have we seen struggling? And where is there a complementary partner to them that may get them that may get them out of this? I think there's also a, an enormous amount of repositioning of, of portfolios. And I'd be interested to hear your opinion, Maggie and Nina. I know EOS is very much focused on, um, on pharma and healthcare and, and life sciences, but we've seen a lot of drug companies um, taking advantage of the um, the opportunities to produce, develop vaccines, what impact that has on the rest of their portfolio and, and how that might impact on um, on uh, on transactions in that sector going forward. I don't know if that's something you're already hearing from your clients. Well, I think there's going to be a whole discussion if we should carve out those vaccine businesses <laughs> into separate businesses <laughs> uh, because they're highly profitable. And now that we found that we can make vaccines at crazy speeds uh, that has d- diminished the length of R&D considerable uh, as, as what they had in the past. So we have heard rumors, you know, that some of the big farmers will start, start considering what to do with the, the vaccine business going forward. But they all... The reality is, is all the big farmers are going into enormous transformations in terms of what they are as business and what they focus as business as they go out of generics, some of them into the more complex type of farmer, get out of OTC, uh, get out of uh, a little bit, let's say, less complex products which then get super interest from private equities, which buying whole portfolios of companies that platforms they're putting together to drive those less R&D focused type of products. So I think it's a whole marketing and full transformation. And we are, we saw an incredible amount of deals in that sector in the last six months. And I think we'll continue to see many going on. Moving away from what we traditionally saw in, um, in sell side and divestments, companies divesting of entire businesses, entire divisions, what we may see is a little bit more bits and pieces you know, that um, pharma most obviously perhaps divesting of some of the businesses that they need to in order to focus on vaccine production. 
But also what we've seen is actually companies selling off facilities, production facilities, because the production capacity for the vaccines didn't exist in the marketplace. Maybe companies looking at a much more early stage purchasing in the in, in the vaccine space to make sure that they've got the, um, the breadth across all the different technologies. So I think there's so many different aspects of sell side that could change that um, you know buyers really need to need to be thinking differently and sellers at the same time need to be need to be thinking differently to match those requirements. To add one thing to your to your big list of uh, of pharma changes, the other thing we will see is governments having a view of yeah. it because a lot of countries which divested their vaccine businesses uh, probably deeply regret having done so and cannot produce vaccines themselves. So also we we're going to see the governments having a play on it and probably getting some of the local pharma companies uh, trying to rebuy or rebuild the, the, their own vaccine production businesses. A really interesting trend. But I think it also shows to come full circle that people are prepared to look at different parts of the business, different parts of the business model and understand where they can play. And yeah. that gives the opportunity to reshape these corporates in pharma is a great example and split up where you sit within that value chain. I think flexibility you know, that says if we've historically, you know, for whatever reason, we've historically relied on all our own internal resources of, of having our own value chain entirely in-house, whether that be research, whether it be production, whether it be logistics. What COVID has shown us is that's a real problem if you've if you've got all those resources and you need to continue to fund those resources. I think a lot of businesses have been very fortunate because they've had significant government funding during the course of the pandemic, but that isn't a bottomless pit. And so I think we'll come out and say we, there's a lot of businesses that will want to be um, a lot more nimble, have a lot less fixed cost, and they'll be looking at how can they de-risk their supply chain, but actually just how, how do they de-risk so that they're much, much better able to deal with um, future situations that, that, that may arise. I mean, we simply don't know. I think COVID has given everybody a real shake-up. And I think there will be an, an opportunity there for, for companies to really look at what they do and question what they do. And there's a great opportunity to change sell side as we go, because uh, we will see a lot of carve-outs still coming out in the next 18 to 24 months. We've always known in the past that a great carve-out and a motivated buyer don't necessarily lead to transaction success because people are very poor at, at integrating transactions. So I, I think, you know, there's... With this future focus, I think there's probably also going to be a lot more focus on this concept of the roadmap that says, not only I'm going into a transaction where there's some risk here because I actually don't know what's happening in the world. I don't know what's going on. I actually don't want the risk of having a poor integration as well. So what I want to make sure I do is that I work with the buyer to make sure that the transition from me into their hands is as smooth as possible. So I think we'll have a lot more um, we'll have a lot more connectivity between our clients M and A teams and their exit stroke integration teams that says we need to look at the whole value train of the of the transaction to make sure it's a success. And I know that's what EOS is focused on in terms of this process, rather than just looking at the um, the, the execution process. It's really 
the whole concept of getting a business from where it is today in the hand into the hands of a new owner.